Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and truths and practices learned from believers in persecution to help you cross the street and cross the oceans with the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Anthony Ball, and to our listeners today, I want to remind you before we get started, we are having our amazing benefit concert night of worship in DFW, February 26, 2020. 23. If you're a listener today and you're in the area, we would love for you to join us. Tickets are on sale at www.nickripkin.com slash worship. Again, we'd love for you to join us at our night of worship with Shane and Shane, February 26, 2023 in Irving, Texas. You can find tickets at www.nickripkin.com slash worship. Nick is joining me today. Nick, how are we feeling? We're doing all right. I, um, after we talked last, I came down with RSV, almost passed mm. out at the airport. And so Ruth brought me home and went to the doctor the next day. And this is what she told me I had. And uh, it's the first time, I don't know in how many decades, that Ruth and I had to cancel a five-day weekend uh, in Oklahoma mm. and Missouri. But... Uh, this was a lot worse than COVID was for me, and it's taken me a lot longer to get over it. So I, um, it's a good thing that we're going to be talking about some things like this today because I sure knew to, need the prayer. It it's, um, couldn't get around the baby for a week and, and um, just been really sick, but I'm on, on my way up now. Mm. Well, we've been praying for you, and we'll continue to pray for you, and we know our listeners will pray for you as well, and that's a that's a hard virus to to get over, no matter your age or where you come from. That's it's not fun at all. Yeah, hospital is full of uh, little babies. They said eighty percent of the ICUs are are children with RSV, and then people like me, especially that's having underlying health conditions that get it, are really in trouble. But I never. Uh, got the respiratory distress that really is the killer, uh, but I still mm-hmm. was pretty sick. So, ready, ready to go to work. Man, we're so glad, and I'm glad that you are feeling better today. Uh, we'll jump right into it because we have a lot to cover, and it's going to be some really good stuff. But we're going to be continuing looking at the DNA of the resurrection and what are these pieces of. Uh, the DNA of the resurrection that allow believers in persecution, and, and in fact, all believers, to thrive in persecution, thrive in the challenges of life, to to deepen their walk with Jesus. Today, like you, you mentioned, we're going to be covering uh, what is what is the church? How does the church operate? And what do believers in persecution teach us about what the church is supposed to look like? Nick, why don't you take it away and and share with us these these DNA of the resurrection. Well, I would remind you that we've done like uh, four big strands of it. That number one, they know Jesus so intimately. Uh, they know the intimacy of prayer. We talked about uh, the miraculous answers to prayer where God moved us and and people met us. And God said, go to this place at this time and and uh, believers in persecution was obedient to do that. And number three and number four go together where they, they, they you know, they have just, it's not that they've memorized uh, in their heart and their mind is the repository for 70% of the Bible. They have just committed that mm-hmm. much of it to memory and, and they, they have written and they sing and they dance uh, spiritual scriptural songs in their own style, and 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 uh, today we're going to do uh, another two together. And the first one is uh, what we're finding today uh, is that uh, our listeners will learn that believers in persecution cannot carry themselves. Sometimes it gets so bad, and they get—I mean—the Soviet Union comes down upon them. Draconian laws are passed. It's 1948 and 49 in China. When those two years are ended, they they had determined there wouldn't be a believer alive, a church in existence. And and, and so uh, uh, number five is 
that uh, they know that they're prayed for, they're not forgotten. Now listen, Anthony, every believer, every body of Christ that we've been around in the world that, that in, in serious persecution, they get knocked down and they don't have their strength to get up. And the way that the body of Christ works internationally in the heavens expressed on the earth is that sometimes we have to carry others when they don't, they're not able to carry themselves. And this is as applicable for the church in America and in the West as it is. Uh, it may not be persecution, but you might have a marriage that's failing. You might have, like us, the loss of a child. You might have your whole financial world in shatters when you lose a job and you can't keep your house and, and you're facing homelessness. And, and this is why it's so important to be part of the body of Christ that they know of you or the Holy Spirit lets them know of you because there are times when the body of Christ carries us when we can't uh, carry ourselves. And one of the strongest believers I ever met, I stayed, he's one of those I stayed with for two or three days. I learned so much from him. And, and he was not very complimentary uh, about uh, uh, faith in America. But he said to me, he said, the only debt we can never repay the church in the West is the debt of prayer that they offered up for us for the 70 years of communism uh, in Eastern Europe and in Russia. And he said in many ways, mm -hmm. the church in the West uh, carried us uh, when we can't carry, when we could not carry ourselves. And that's a debt we can never pay. And so we're just going to uh, pass that on uh, to someone else. But for them, uh, for Muslim background believers, everywhere that Ruth and I went, there, there comes a place that you're in that prison cell. Your church is being hounded. They're taking your jobs away. They're stealing your children. Uh, the, there comes a time when, when they ask God, does anyone know that we're in this kind of situation? Does anybody remember? Does anybody care? And if they are living out the Bible, and if they know that there are others in, in places like America and in the West that's living and praying through the Bible, then we know how to pray for people that we don't even know exist. We know for places to pray for that we know exist, that have no access to the gospel whatsoever, or that the gospel is so weak that the believers there are scattered and they're alone and they're afraid, or they might be like Dimitri, one of the strongest believers ever in that prison for 17 years, but he had given up and told God he has finished until he was allowed to hear the voices of his wife, his brother, and his sons as they prayed for him, and that allowed him to strengthen his heart and square his shoulders and go on. And you don't know, and I don't know what God does with our prayers. And as we pray for believers in Saudi Arabia, as we pray for believers in Somalia, as we pray for believers in hard places, they will tell us of the unusual power that they gained from God for a season and later on find out that, that some church or some denomination or through some publication, there was united prayer for their people group or, or, or for uh, uh, their church that allowed them to get back up and go back to work and be God's people when they thought they no longer to do this. And, and they had told Dimitri, your voice, your Christianity will die in this cell in prison. And now Dimitri, when I talked to him two or three years ago, was still alive. And he's just laughing and saying, they told me that my faith and my church would die with me in this prison cell. And now communism is dead and, and I'm still alive. But uh, 
the question that we must ask ourselves today is, are we the ones that God has set aside, maybe in a time of freedom, uh, politically, maybe in a time of ease for the church, but this is the time for us to have supernatural prayer. We can just look at the map and we can look at the types of governments there are out there. We can look at the famines. We can look at the civil wars. And we know that this is a time of prayer and fasting for our brothers and sisters so that we can carry them when they can't carry themselves. And maybe what happens when we pray is God sets us aside to go uh, uh, to Ethiopia, to go to southern Sudan, to go uh, to northern Kenya, where, where because of global warming and because of drought and famine, uh, uh, they, are, they are digging up weeds and trying to boil them and, and eat them. And I, I came to villages in Somalia where everybody had green mouths and their teeth were staying green, where they were uh, pounding leaves off of trees and the grass off the ground because they'd eaten all their seed corn. They'd eaten all their grain. They had nothing to plant. And when the rains came, they had nothing to eat. And they'd been eating grass and weeds and leaves off the trees. And that was the time when the church should have shown up and said to this Muslim people, uh, we will give from all of the extra stuff. We don't even have to touch the foundation of stuff. We, we have so much and we will make sure that you live long enough so that you can raise your children and raise your grandchildren and we will stay around and learn your language and learn your culture and you will know by our love and you know by our giving uh, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God and he's the only way to eternal life. And all of these ways start with prayer that motivate us to do for other people's children what we would want to have done for our children if they are in, in, the, in, the, same, in the same way. I was in China and I was having such a out-of-body spiritual experience and, and I was on the stage and I was done interviewing uh, people for 14 hours and suddenly a lady raised her hand and quietly asked me a question. And the interpreter just went as still as he could because uh, he, he had lived in California. He had lived in Taiwan. And so he did not know himself how isolated the church in China felt. When this lady asked me the question, has Jesus made it to other countries or has he just made it to China? And I was just dumbstruck. Wow. And I chose to tell him about faith in America and in the Western world. And, and like I laugh and say when I go down to the South to Baptist churches, I said the believers in China will never be Baptist because when they heard that Jesus had made it to our country and there were millions of us on paper, at least, that follow Christ and churches by the hundreds of thousands, they, they not only clapped and laughed, they got up and danced before the Lord. And, and, but what I've discovered in the South, it's not that Baptists don't dance. They can't dance. I've watched them. <laughs> That's exactly it's right. not pretty. Exactly. It, right. It's not pretty. But, but, you know, I did have somebody in one of those churches say, if you don't get to dance in church, you're going to dance somewhere. But these folks asked me, have Jesus made it to other countries? And I talked about uh, churches all the West and they had a party. And then another lady said, well, uh, Dr. Nick, since Jesus has made it to other countries, are they persecuted like us? What a question. 40% hmm. of their pastors, evangelists, teachers, elders in jail at that time, men and women, young and old, rural, uh, urban peoples. And, uh, and, and so I chose to tell them about believers in Somalia and how they, were being, how they had been martyred down to four. And I chose to tell them about how hard it was in places like Saudi Arabia 
and they just were dead still. There was not an expression on their face. Uh, it, it, there was no joy. There was no sadness. And I, I now have had an 18-hour day, and I thought, well, that went over big. It was like it didn't affect them. They didn't care. And I just stumbled off the stage and got in my little twin bed and a half to try to go to sleep for a few minutes before the other three guys joined me in the same bed. And in the next morning, I woke up and I heard all this crying and I heard all this shouting and this loud noise. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we've stayed too long. There's too many of us. They knew better. They don't meet in groups larger than 30, and they don't meet for more than three days. And here we are, a group of leaders of 150, and, and we've been there now for almost mm -hmm. seven days. I thought, well, the security police have found us, and they're going to jail. They're all going to prison, and the house church is going to be really hurt by the loss of their leadership. And they're going to do to me what they always do to Westerners is just take me to the airport and, and, and make me leave the country and put a stamp in my passport that I'll never be allowed again. See, there's another lesson all through this is you can't make persecution fair. You can't make it equal. Hmm. Satan's too wise. Uh, he knows better than to go after men a lot of times in a family situation He'll, he'll attack the wife and the children. That's the way to destroy the faith of the man. Yeah. And, and Satan will go after the fruit of your ministry. And, and, and a lot of workers from the West will quit and go home because others will say to us, well, you got that person persecuted. You shared Christ with that person and they changed their religion. Now they're in prison and that's on you and that's your fault. And, and when Satan goes after our fruit or after our family, we find it very, very difficult to, to stay. And so I, I, I heard all these people crying out and, and yelling. And, and so I got quickly out of my bed and got dressed and walked out. And wow, I, I was pleasantly surprised there's no security police, but the believers are sitting on the ground and they're beating their chest and they're holding their faces in their hands and they're pulling on their hair and and their, the dust is rising up from smacking the ground and I just hear them crying and, and and I look at my interpreter and I ask him, I said, Jonathan, what's going on? He said, Nick, just listen. I said, I, I don't speak Han Chinese. What good is it going to be to, to listen? He said, just listen, just be quiet. And I he took me by the hand and I walked among them, and as I was quiet, I could not, the only thing I could hear was Somalia, 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 Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. And Jonathan, with tears streaming down his face, said they were so shocked. They were so hurt last night when you told them about believers in Somalia and Saudi Arabia and how they are treated so much more harshly than believers in China. They made a vow to God after you went to bed last night that they would get up an hour early each day and they would spread it among the 10 million house church members that they were responsible for. And they all would get up an hour earlier each day and pray uh, for believers mm -hmm. in persecution that God would sustain them that God would give them grace, that God would provide for their needs, and, and they would pray for them an hour every day. And, and don't you know, a, a couple years later, I was able to get back into Somalia and, and meet some of the believers and new believers and get back into the Gulf states and, and rub up uh, very carefully against Saudi believers. And, and I asked them how things were going. They said, Nick, we don't understand it. We're in a season of fruit. We're in a season of some reason the, the bad guys have turned their faces in another direction. The arrests are down, mm. the beatings are down, and families are more open to our faith. And we don't understand what's going on and why we have 
uh, uh, this this season of of grace in, in our countries. I said, I know what's going on. You've got 10 million house church uh, members, if you will, believers in Christ, getting up an hour earlier every day, uh, praying and fasting over you. And I told them about that experience in hmm. in, in, in China and, and these believers. And, and, and to get a Muslim to cry is, is, is like trying to get a redneck in Kentucky to cry. It's very unusual. And, and yet they wept with joy. They said, oh, God, oh, God, give us the grace that someday that we can get to China and we can find these house church people that carried us when we could not carry ourselves. Now, listen, this is why we've got to get to Acts 2 and to Acts 4. Uh, in the New Testament, because only after Acts 2 and Acts, Acts 4, where you have f- tens of thousands of believers gathered into hundreds of house churches who brought all things common and how they took care of one another and prayed for one another. But pre-Pentecost, you don't have people to pray for you. You don't have people to take care of you, to support you to lift you up before the throne. And so we've got to educate ourselves and know what it's like in every country of the world and know that God is making himself known and that if there there is a country that has no believers in it, Ruth and I have yet to find it. In those countries where, where there is no Bible, there's no songs, there's no missionaries. There's no known churches. They will tell you there's no known baptisms. But Ruth and I have gone to a lot of these places and people groups. And if we're there for 10 days to two weeks, 15 or more people, often couples, will come up to us and say, the Holy Spirit told us to come to this market, to come to this shop, to come to this hotel mm. and find you, to tell you that we are followers of Jesus to Christ And we want you to know that. And then they just disappear. There's not a place on earth where God's not calling men and women to himself. And, uh, and, and, And yet, when they know that we have unreached peoples and unengaged peoples on our prayer list and people have adopted their country, have adopted their people group, when they know that they are prayed for, not forgotten, that's when their backs are straightened and their shoulders are square. And as we uh, sometimes say, that's not so, we don't say it in polite country, but they're willing to charge hell with a bucket of water. And they don't have to have much water in that bucket for the cause of Christ Hmm. because they know that they're prayed for and they're not forgotten. And so for, for us to experience the DNA of the resurrection We have people praying for us when we don't carry ourselves. And for the church in persecution to have the DNA of the resurrection is because they are prayed for. They are not forgotten. So for them to experience the resurrected life is dependent on us as well as the quality of their faith. You know what? I've interviewed and sat and listened, and I've heard uh, many African-American conversion stories in America of young men who were converted when they were in their late 20s and their 30s and 40s. And the number one thing that brought about them their conversion, that they're living with their mother, but often with their grandmother, and they're out doing drugs, according to their testimony, are they involved in crime, which is not true of most of the African-American community, but in these stories, it was true. And they come in uh, at night, two or three o'clock in the morning after out, uh, you know, raising, uh, as we say, we won't want to say the real word, but raising cane and causing trouble. And they, they tiptoe past their grandmother's door and the light is shining under the door and they can hear her praying inside that room and they stop and pause by that door 
and they hear their grandmother calling their names out to Jesus. Mm. And they said it when I heard my grandmother and sometimes when I heard my mother on their knees, one and two and three o'clock in the morning, calling my name out to God, it just ushered me in the presence of God and I could no longer escape his grace. Hear the words mm. of the Lord. If they are to have the DNA of the resurrection, it's a shared DNA in that our prayers carry them when they can no longer carry themselves. And remember the words of the East European leader when he said, the one debt that we can never repay the West is the debt of prayer that they lifted up on our behalf for the 70 years of communism. And they believe that's what brought the, uh, uh, that wall down, uh, that wall of communism down was the prayers of church people in the West. Now we need to put mm -hmm. that in a very special place because it goes along with what we talked about uh, in the last podcast uh, about the intimacy or the first podcast about the intimacy of prayer. Uh, 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 this is part of that. Uh, Ruth and I prayed over a map. I didn't do that. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a Christian family, but she grew up and her father would lay a map on the breakfast table and he would read the names of the missionaries that they had in a missionary pamphlet that was out and they prayed for them on their birthdays back then. And, and he would give them some hints and they would have to guess which country each one of these missionaries were for, from. And then they would stop as a family at every breakfast, every morning of her life and pray for the workers in those countries and pray that people would come to Christ, that they'd be encouraged. And so Ruth was raised that way to pray for the nations and, and that they would come to Christ and they would be encouraged if they were Christians in hard places and Muslim countries or mm -hmm. communist countries or Hindu country. Uh, number five is they're prayed for. They're not forgotten. And I want to add number six into this. Now, know this. Believers in persecution will appreciate anything that we can do for them. But nothing that we do for them is to replace the local body of Christ. One of the problems, desperate problems, that believers in Somalia had is that when the civil war and fam famine came and the workers were chased out, uh, as far as I could find, 100% of the Somali believers were dependent upon the financial gifts of those Westerners uh, 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 to, uh, for daily life, for their daily bread. And when those Westerners were chased out and the banking system failed and there was no way to get money in or get money out, overnight, all of the Christian families were left destitute. And you know what we found? Mm -hmm. That in, in the countries like India, and it's happening right now, and it's been happening under this leader for some years, they love, they love for local ministries and local Christians and local churches to be dependent upon Western money because they can flip a switch and turn that money off and stop it from coming mm -hmm. in through the banks, stop it coming in from Western Union. They can stop it and leave those orphans uh, there were 200 and some thousand orphans that had been adopted by people in the West and they turned that money off and put those orphans in the street and the, the government told them, see, we warned you, you cannot trust those people from the West that they'll give their money and they'll take it away just as quickly. And of course, no one knew uh, that the government Stop that money from coming in. And so what we, mm. number six is very, very crucially important is that 
when they experience the resurrection and persecution, the community, the body of Christ locally, takes care of the people of Christ. They took the leading family, the top pastor and his family in Eastern Europe, and they arrested him, and they put him in a KGB torture facility, and they were taking him apart. Anthony, they put his wife on a train, uh, I don't remember, three or four, I think it was four children. They were going to send them 18 hours outside of any place and just dump them in a shack, unaware by anybody Mm -hmm. where they were, out of sight, out of mind. And so once they got them in a place where they could not survive, they were going to kill the pastor in prison, that lead man. And then, and, and then part of the way they were going to slowly kill him uh, uh, was to tell him what happened to his family. And they're literally, literally on a train bound from, for nowhere. And the kids are saying, Mama, where's Daddy? Mama, what are they doing to mm. Daddy? Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm thirsty. Mama, I'm tired. Mama, are we going to die? Mama, what's going to happen to me? And that mother uh, did what she had done all of her lives with her, her husband. She looked at those kids and said, kids, all of your life, we have taught you to trust God. And this is the night that we do that. And a man came up to them on a train, a stranger. And he asked them, are you pastor so-and-so's family and called out the pastor's name? And the kids are looking around the mother in fear and, and she's really hesitant. But finally she says, yes, yes, son, I'm his wife and these are his children and they're taking us somewhere. We don't know where they're taking us and, and we're, we're, we're afraid. And the man said, well, you don't know me. I'm from a church near the last place the train stopped. And last night we were praying and the Holy Spirit told us you were going to be on this train and told us your husband's name and told us to take up an offering and I was to bring it and to give it to you. And he handed her a bunch of money and he said, here's enough money for the next six months. And not only that, I'm going to stay on this train And I'm going to watch where they dump you, where they put you, and we'll find a place for you to live. And I will be back in a few months with more money and more people. And we're going to take care of you. As long as your husband's in that prison, Mm -hmm. we've got you. And we'll let your church know back in the capital city what happened to you and where they took you. Because ultimately, they're going to take care of you. But for now... The Holy Spirit told me, as he told the church last night, to send me to get on the church to bring you this money, and and we're going to take care of you. You know what we call that, Anthony? Mm. We call that the church. We call that the body of Christ. There was a family, a mother and three. They put her husband, her Baptist husband, in in a KGB, KGB torture facility and took the family out to Siberia and put them in a one-room house, and it's 30 below zero. That means the ground freezes about 33 inches down, and they've eaten their last crust Mm. of bread, and they've drank their last sip of tea, and they have no wood for the fireplace, and the kids are cold, they're hungry, and they're saying, Mama, Mama, what's going to happen to us? Where's Daddy? Is Daddy alive? Mama, I'm thirsty. Mama, I'm cold. Mama, I'm afraid. Mama, are we going to die? And those kids told me they're now much older. They said their mother looked at them and said, kids, all of your life, we've told you, your father and I, we've taught you how to trust God. And this is the night that we trust him the most. And 30 kilometers 20 miles away, God wakes up a deacon of a church that only known to them. Mm. And he says to that deacon, get out of bed, hitch 
your horse to the sled and put on the sled uh, those vegetables and meats and, 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 and fruit that the church has gathered to itself and you take it tonight uh, to pastor's family over there because without it, they're not going to survive. And the deacon said, God, you don't understand. It's like God doesn't know the weather. It's 30 below zero <laughs> outside and I'm going to freeze and the horse is going to freeze. And he said, the Holy Spirit said, get out of bed, get your horse, harness him, hitch him to the sled, load the sled with what I told you to and take it to pastor's family. They are desperate for it. He said, God, uh, you don't understand. The wolves are everywhere and they're going to eat the horse and they're going to then eat me. And he said, the Holy Spirit said to me, listen, you have to go. You don't have to come back. Now, mm. that's not the story that I tell parents the first time they're sending their children overseas. But it's a story <laughs> we should be telling all the time. You don't have to go. Exactly. But you have to come back. But what does it mean to be the body of Christ to pray and take an offering and get on a train to be the body of Christ and to pray and, and, and to wake up and, and to hitch that horse to that sled and take what the church has gathered and knock on that door at daylight the next morning and fearfully uh, that mother opens the door and peers out and there's that deacon and says, the Holy Spirit told me to bring this food to you and here's enough uh, for the next few weeks, I'll go back and see the body of Christ. And don't you worry, we'll be back. And as long as your husband's in that KGB prison, we will take care of you. You know what we call that? We call that the church. Mm. That's the body yeah. of Christ. And why wouldn't I want that? Why would I want to be part of anything less than that? Why would I want to ask God, how little can I give when I owe him everything? Mm. They, took a, they took a pastor in China and put him in prison for 17 years. And they put his wife, now you imagine this, you've got two boys, right? My mother mm -hmm. had six boys and one girl, seven children, and we lived in a tiny house. And, and they put him in a, in, in a prison in China and they put them in a one room house in a city with seven kids, one room with seven kids. If those kids were anything like oh. me and my brothers, I think I'd rather be in prison, but I'm probably don't know how bad prison was. And, and she has nothing. Mm. How's she going to feed seven kids? They moved her on purpose. So she'd be where no church knows where she is. They moved her far, far away from where she was yeah. known. But the Holy Spirit taught her over time. And she'd just go to the market, open-air market filled with women selling everything from cloth to eggs uh, to meat, uh, groceries, paper products, you know, anything that you need for life. And she put a, a big smock over her dress with these great big pockets. And she would just, she said she would just walk back and forth through the market and women would rub up against her. And, and, and after a while, after a couple hours of this, she would leave the market and one pocket would have eggs in it. And the other pocket would have some carrots or turnips in it. Mm. And the other pocket, somebody had stuffed some money in it or, or a piece of wrapped meat in it. And, and that's how she fed her family for years. She did it that way by the, the people of God clandestinely rubbing up against her in the market. And they were very hungry one day and had nothing to eat. And they opened the door of their apartment and tied to the railing coming into their park apartment. Somebody had tied a chicken and they had meat that night for their meal. Wow. Uh, 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 near Unbelievable. Uh, uh, years later of the 17 years that this guy's in prison, uh, uh, one of the, the older boys got a job in the next city. He has no way to get there. He has no money for transportation. So they just did what they always did and they prayed about it. And the next morning, 
tied to the door was a bicycle that he could ride mm. back and forth to that job and help him support his family. Anthony, when church breaks out, nobody has to tell the people of God to take care of their children. That's just the nature of the body of Christ. Now, they're going to appreciate yeah. anything that we do to help them. But we are to never, never use our funds, our material blessings in such a way as to replace the body of Christ in that location. Because the body mm. of Christ is so much more than food on the table. It's so much more than money in a pocket. It's being lifted up. It's being cared for. It's being prayed over. It's being your family when they've ripped you away from your family. You know, and a lot of your listeners know that we, we uh, our 16-year-old son died of an asthma attack eight days after his birthday. He died on Easter Sunday morning. And, and you know what, Anthony? He died late March we came home in uh, uh, early June uh, so our youngest, our oldest son could get acclimated and have a month at home before he went off to college. And uh, we didn't mm. cook another meal from late March to June the 6th or the 8th, something like that. Uh, Ruth would remember the date. She would remember the clothes we had on. She'll remember the time we went to the airport <laughs> and probably the seat, seats that oh, we yeah. sat in. But but for all of those days, the, those weeks, and those months, uh, we never fixed another meal. Our neighbors, uh, uh, Hindus, uh, uh, Muslims, a Christian, uh, the, the, the broader missionary community that's all over Nairobi, uh, just showed up at our door every day. Every day they showed up and, and brought us food. We never cooked another lunch. We never cooked another evening meal. And one of the things I just I discovered of, hmm. of of all religions and peoples of the world, Anthony, they all make casseroles. <laughs> you I, love casseroles, I, right? I, I, I will be happy if I never eat another casserole in my life. Those two months uh, were <laughs> blessings, but uh, they sort of mm. cured me. And, and you know what? I, I, I think what triggered our son's asthma attack is the rains came and we'd moved into an older brick home and it released a lot of uh, black mold spores that just... Uh, Mm. Uh, triggered a really uh, acute attack of asthma. But I came uh, into the house one day and there was 12 pairs of muddy shoes outside of our oldest son's bedroom. And I thought to myself, where are the kids that go with these shoes? And so I opened the door to his not so big bedroom and there's 12, 13 uh, uh, high school students in our son's bedroom they're sitting in the com in, in the in the bathtub. They're sitting on the closed commode. They're sitting on the edge of the bed, on the windowsills, on the floor. And these kids had come from the school, and they came many days after school for our young son, our older son, just to love on them and 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 and, and to share a laugh as well well as well as a a, a tear. Uh, because they loved our middle son so mm. much. Our middle son was a lover. He was a lover of lovers. And uh, every year at school, at the missionary school, he would buy a rose uh, and give it to every girl in the high school. That was one popular boy. <laughs> and uh, he, he was truly a, uh, he was the one that never went to bed without telling his mother that he loves that he loved her and uh, that left a, a big empty mm. spot. And, and, and we just had people just overwhelm us with food and love in their presence. And, and the second day, it took us eight days to get all the documents uh, necessary uh, to bury our son in a, in a safe place where his body wouldn't be dug up for his clothes. And, um, 
and, mm. uh, and, and, and so it just took a long time. And on the second day, uh, we had been part of a little church plant in Nairobi in a storefront that had grown into something significant. And it is a very significant church now today in Nairobi. And Elijah Mwanji is probably the best pastor I've ever sit under the, the few times a month that I was in Nairobi. Oh, how they adopted our team. They loved our Somali team and they ministered to us. How they took care of my family as, as I was gone a lot. And Mwanji came to me and he said, Ripken, he said, Ripken, when your neighbors and all the white people uh, stop coming in the daytime to your house, uh, uh, then your church is going to come. And I, I just said with brokenness, mm -hmm. I said, Pastor, I can't take this. I can't take white people and neighbors eight hours a day or 10 hours a day coming into my house and then having my African church coming for whatever I know, three or four hours at night, I, I don't have the emotional strength. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Hmm. And he looked at me sadly and he said, Ripken, Nick, do you know us so little? And I said, Pastor, I reckon, hmm. I guess I do know you so little because I don't know what you're talking about. And that night, he came to our house. And if you've never heard African praise music sung, is some of the greatest, most magnificent harmony in the entire mm -hmm. world. And for the next 8, 12, 14 nights, I don't remember how many, they slipped. I left the front door unlocked. He slipped. They slipped quietly in our house. As with tears running down our face, we had our devotions with our boys and we tucked them into bed. Even our high school senior, we just had to love on him extra more. And as we got into bed, got mm -hmm. ready for bed and held each other and cried and prayed together, they had come quietly in our house. And as we prepared our boys for bed and we prepared ourselves for another bit, night without our middle son being on earth, uh, that, that praise team from Ridgeways Baptist Church outside of Nairobi, Kenya, sang us to sleep. They mm -hmm. sang us into the arms of Jesus every night. And that harmony that mm -hmm. just swept through our boys' hearts and, and gave them peace and dried their tears. And we went to sleep listening to God's word being sung back to him, sometimes in English, often in Swahili, sometimes in, in a different language in Kenya, from Kenya. But they sang us into the arms of Jesus every night. I know what I call that. Mm -hmm. I call that church. I call that the body mm -hmm. of Christ. And, and can you imagine if we could in, if we could include that into our funeral practices in America, if our Christians mm. who lost husbands and mothers and fathers wouldn't find it so invasive that the four or five or six or eight people who, uh, you know, uh, stand for the greatest singers in the church would quietly slip into the home and representing the body of Christ, just sing that family into the arms of Jesus. I've experienced mm. church like that, and I want to be part of church like that, and I want to be like that for others. You see, Anthony, that's why the Holy Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Mm. And if you haven't experienced church and persecution, you probably don't understand this. In all these stories that I've told you uh, about how the community cares for uh, their family, for those who are in Christ, uh, uh, what's throughout these is that if they withheld uh, uh, getting on that train with that money, that family 
would have died. There, there, there was no indication yeah. there was a, a second answer. And if that guy hadn't got up and harnessed that horse and taken that those goods to that family that had drank in their last uh, cup of tea and eaten their last crust of bread, there was no other answer. That guy was God's answer. That church was God's church for those people. And mm. Ridgeways was God's people for for us for, for that time. And they carried us during and after our son's uh, home going and, and to have them sing us in the kingdom of God. But when Ananias and Sapphira withheld that piece of property from the church, they threatened the very existence of the body of Christ and its ability mm. to live, to survive in a hostile environment that God knew, the Holy Spirit knew that stoning of Stephen was going to be scattered uh, to the four winds. And without the gifts of people like Ananias and Sapphira, that church would not be able to travel with the possessions of the body of Christ until they could start something else. And to threaten the very existence of the body of Christ by withholding your physical blessings, you do not want to put yourself between the Holy Spirit and his children. And they didn't survive mm. it. They didn't survive it because God sees the church as the bride of Christ. You mess with my bride and threaten my bride's life. I, I'm going to try to do everything I can to offer myself to stand between that threat and my bride. God does the same. And if we withhold our mm. prayers, if we withhold our physical blessings from one another when it's needed, uh, then we should not expect it when it's our turn to need it also. Hear the words of the Lord. Yeah. How do they live uh, mm. and experience the resurrection? What makes up this uh, ever-growing DNA of the resurrection that I want so desperately for the church in the West, especially in my home country that sent me out and loved me. Uh, uh, they know how to pray, but they've got to have workers that go, that come back and say, this is what's going in country X, Y, and Z. And this is how we pray. And this is how we fast. And we just don't learn from sec secular news and we don't just pray where the military goes or what is on CNN or what's Fox News. We are to be in all places or all time, Jesus commanded. So we know how to pray for the peoples of the earth and we can carry them when they can't carry themselves. And while we're going to help hmm. the church in China, if we can, or those orphans in India or the $13 million that we spent uh, from the governments of the world and from the church uh, in Somalia. Yet it is the responsibility of the local body of Christ to take care of its children. And I should not take that over because I'm temporary and they can get rid of me. Oftentimes, even if I retire, I'm not going to retire there. And they need the local body of Christ to be in existence and allow the local body to take care of its own children. That's what we call church. Mm. Where we depend mm. spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically on one another. Look up in your Bible when you get a chance mm. at all the one another passages that are in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We are meant to be the body, to be the body. And as Ruth says, and I've already said on this po podcast, it, it, it's not like uh, 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 there's a, a persecuted church and a free church. There's just the church. And when my finger mm -hmm. is, is crushed and, and, and is hurting, and if the rest of the body doesn't feel that exquisite, uh, 
exhausting, tear-inducing pain, then you know that finger was not attached to your body. Uh, that's what mm. it means to be the body of Christ. And what she also says is uh, 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 the persecuted have taught her that, that, that the body is made up of things you see, like a head, a, a hands and feet, a chest, a back, a legs, a finger. But the body is also made up of internal organs that you don't see, like your heart, your lungs, your liver, your spleen, uh, other organs and that are vital to the uh, life of the body. And, and the persecuted uh, believers and persecutors say, we're like those internal organs. You don't see us, but you can't live without us. And we are one church and the body of Christ takes care of its children. And I hope that this podcast makes us hunger to be the body, to be the body of Christ, to be the people of God to one another and to carry each other when we can't carry ourselves any longer. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. Wow. Nick, what a powerful word. And I, I'm so convicted. I'm so challenged because I think we, we do want that. I don't know if you can, answer this in one minute, but maybe we can try to do so one minute because we're going to run into a, um, run a little bit over time, but I know we're going to have listeners who are going to say, I want that. I see it. I don't get to experience it. What can I do to at least begin building that type of culture in my church, my life? What, you know, I, I think there's just so many people who would say, I want to do that, but it would impose on my culture, impose on my, my church body when they're just not ready for it. How can I begin to introduce that culture into, into my church and my life now? Can you do that in one minute or two minutes? Or You, you started in your home. You started in your home, and then you let others in your extended family look in on that. And then they'll want what you have, and your extended family, as they come to Christ, will want to be together. Your neighbors look into that. Uh, every, every team we've been on, Anthony, every team Ruth and I have been on, other people wanted to join because they wanted to have a close team like that. We not only worked together, mm. we took vacations together. We took care uh, when, when there were things that my kids would not listen to me about, I would call one of their uncles. That's what we call other missionaries. And they would come and take our kids fishing mm. or our son fishing and help him deal with a life problem that he couldn't hear from his dad. And when you do that in your hmm. Bible studies and you do that in your Sunday schools and you do that in your women's and your men's group and you start building the DNA of caring for one another and praying for one another and meeting together in prayer before you go uh, 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 to work and having breakfasts together, uh, people will buy into that kind of belonging. They will buy into that kind of love. Hmm. You do it in bite-sized pizzas and let the DNA go upward and people will join it mm. and be a part of it. I love that. I love that. You know, my wife and I, we, over the years, probably a lot from you as well, but we've learned over the years, one of the things that's been so, such a blessing to us is just the, the everyday rhythms of life, letting the body of Christ be a part of the everyday rhythms of life. I even thought about this week. Uh, you know, within one day we had somebody come over and he needed to borrow butter. And so he, he walked over and he stopped and chatted for a while. We gave him butter. And then a few hours later, we had some friends come over and they, um, they came over for dessert and we just talked. And then we had another friend had to come pick something up. So he came late at night and we all just ended up talking in our living room and, and just so many opportunities we have to, like you've talked about just the hospitality and inviting people into the the daily rhythms of life as the body of Christ to care for one another, to be together. Uh, we, I feel like we've learned so much from you about how to just embrace even those little moments that create the culture where the bigger moments are no longer an imposition, but they're just being part of the body of Christ. The, uh, the, the churches in persecution use their money for one another. They don't use it to insulate mm. themselves. We use our, our stuff to build beer houses, maybe to go on longer vacations. Uh, we isolate ourselves to where uh, 
you know, we say a man's house is his castle. But when you say that, you've, you've turned your back on what it means to be the body of Christ. A man's house should be his church mm. and, and should be a place where God's people meets. And, and, and so uh, uh, we haven't been, we have it harder. And your, your, our listeners won't believe this. We have it harder in America than almost in any country on earth mm. because we don't need each other. But when you need one another to plow, right. your, plow your ground, when you need one another to harvest your crops like it was when I was little, when you need one another to carry you to the doctor and to pay your medical bills, uh, then you learn uh, what the body of Christ is like. Just because we are wealthy doesn't mean we have to keep it. We've got to be good stewards mm. of it. That'll preach. But, if, but if our wealth insulates us, from being the body of Christ and give it away. Don't do that to yourself. Don't yeah. don't give up the great for the good. Mm. I'm going to have to quote you on a couple of those things. I'm going to try to write those down when we get off because that's really right. good, really right, good wisdom. You. Well, have mm. a good rest of your day. I look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing all of that wisdom. Uh, for our listeners today, thank you for tuning in. If you'd like more information about our ministry, of course, you can support us. Uh, when you give to Nick Ripken Ministries, you're supporting not only this podcast, but allowing us uh, to, to give this information all over the world uh, to equip you and others like you uh, with the truths and practices that we have learned from believers in persecution. You can do that and find more information about our ministry at www. .nickripkin.com. Again, you can find more information about our ministry at www.nickripkin.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in today and we will be with you next time.